Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back, Light Beams. I am tapping in from Los Angeles, and you are listening to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything. It's about coming to know ourselves. I'm your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I'm happy that you're here. I want to thank everyone who took the time to vote for my podcast on the People's Choice Awards, and I can't wait to share the results with you when they're in. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to The Know so that you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling called to leave me a five-star rating and review, you know what to do. All right, let's jump right into this. Today, I am talking about ownership and autonomy because you don't own me. Let's go. Okay, I want to get started by defining ownership and defining autonomy. Okay, ownership is defined as the act, state, or right of possessing something. Autonomy is defined as the right or condition of self-government. All right, I'm thinking about when I was a child and I belonged to my parents. I was an only child and I didn't know life any different. I liked being alone. I generally got nervous around like other kids, but I was also very comfortable around adults. And during my childhood, while I had my many cousins who lived in Puerto Rico, I only had one cousin who lived locally. So it was just kind of like just us two. He's the closest thing that I had to a sibling besides my two best friends whom I met in middle school and they're now my children's godmothers. I guess I wasn't particularly good at sharing in social settings, especially not food, (laughs) Um, because I didn't really have to, but I enjoyed sharing with my friends. And in any event, in childhood, at least in mine, I had a very defined sense that I belonged to my parents and I deified them, right? Like I, they were like my God, if you will. Um, and I think many people do this with their parents. Like we see our, our parents as all knowing, right? When we're little, you know, I thought they knew everything until of course I grew into an adult and a mother myself. And I realized that no one actually knows anything. And this is all of our first times at life. And we're all just figuring it out as we go. So of course, as a mother now, obviously my, my children are my responsibility. I am their guardian, protector, mentor, and so much more. But I have always felt this way about them, um, that they don't belong to me. I'm going to get a little bit existential on you guys here, okay? Are you ready? Are you ready? Like, I, I believe that my children belong to the world. They are people. They are souls separate from me and mine. I don't see my children as an extension of myself. Like, I may have genetically created and carried them. They came from me, but they are very much their own people and have their own souls and their own identities. And in my own way, I try to raise them as such. We all know, because I've talked very, very openly about it, that I um, became estranged from my mother in my adult years. And to go back to my childhood, as you know, as horrible as the most horrible days were, I, I always knew that she loved me. And she loved me so much that she loved me more than she loved herself, I think. And she loved me so much and she loved herself so little that she needed me to love her in order to feel a sense of self-worth. It is my opinion that this recipe for motherhood is dangerous. I remember not wanting to have children because I thought that one, I would be a bad mom, nonsense. And two, that motherhood meant the complete loss of self and that I would not belong to myself anymore and that I would just belong to everybody else, right? And I don't think that I'm alone in that feeling. I think that many mothers feel that way. 
But this episode is less about motherhood and more about womanhood and the human female experience and our autonomy and our sense of ownership over ourselves. So as a young girl, I remember feeling very encouraged to try new things, to be my creative self, to express myself and to have an outlet. I also felt a tremendous amount of pressure to be beautiful. And in belonging to my parents, I did what they guided me to do. Of course I did. I was I was a child. And we do this to and for our children today. We guide them. This is what we do. And I think something big that was missing, and not just like, this is not an indictment on my parents or, or my upbringing, but I think it was missing like probably as a generation was the dialogue or even the presence of a sense of autonomy and ownership. For me, it was particularly complex with a history of sexual abuse when I was young and a concept, any concept of autonomy and ownership over my own body was really non-existent. Not until I got older and I started exploring the wild, wild world of teenage hormones and curiosity, right? And even then, like at, at age 17 and again at age 19 and really all throughout my life, my sense of personal ownership and autonomy was foggy, foggy, and not just sexually, but my identity, like who I identified as. So today I bring up ownership and autonomy as a multifaceted concept in a world that tells us who to be in a world where even though it's shifting a bit now, womanhood and manhood generally have clear definitions. Traditionalists tend to have very clear definitions and ideas, whether they're willing to admit them or not, or at worst, actively pretend not to have ideals of what they want in a partner, friend, or coworker, or whatever, in regards to gender roles. I've mentioned this in an earlier guest episode, but I've been on one lately about asking people about the woman who most inspires them in life. And I particularly love asking men this question. And it can be a female public figure. It can be a, a woman in his personal life. Now, listen, I haven't done like an expert poll or anything like that. But in my brief experience asking people these questions, it appears that most people, most men especially, are inspired by their mothers and it's mostly for their self-sacrificial dedication to the raising of their families. I, I wanna, I'm actually gonna look into this and see if there's a professional study somewhere that covers this, but like just in my like, hey, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, and I'm trying to like learn more about people. This is what I've deduced, okay? And every so often someone tells me about a woman in their profession, their professional field or, hist or a historical figure, right? Who has changed the trajectory or something major. And these are all fine. Like I'm actually not judging the answer. I don't care about the answer. I'm simply observing the answer and like the trend, right? I believe that feminism is holding space for women to do exactly what they want with their bodies, with their behaviors, with their thoughts, with their professions and beyond. Like, I don't care if a woman wants to live a life of service to her family or if she doesn't want a family or whether or not she decides to work or not work. I care that she has a choice and I care that her mind, body, soul, choices, behaviors, and actions are her own autonomy and ownership. So being a survivor of sexual abuse, that got pretty foggy for me, right? Like those teen years, foggy. My young adulthood, foggy. I had become so accustomed to being objectified that one, it started to not phase me. And two, 
I started to think that that's what love was. And three, crazy. I learned to like it. But not really like it. Simply, I I came to believe that that's what life was supposed to be like. Just like I thought the sexual humiliation I experienced as a child was, quote, what life was supposed to be like until I realized it wasn't. You know, we don't know what we don't know until we know it. In the 90s and 2000s and before then, really, when sex sold and women were hypersexualized, this all, in a strange way, felt very natural for me. It made sense to me that a man could only want me to be beautiful. But even though it kind of made sense, it didn't feel right. I remember advocating for myself to go to college because people in in my life were just kind of like, no, 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 you're cute enough. You don't have to go to school. And I remember feeling like very angry and resentful about that. So I moved through life like trying to prove myself smart and trying to prove myself witty and capable and all of these other things, all of which I am today and feel no need to prove anymore. But I think objectification will do that to a person. It will make a person feel like they have to prove that they are more, which is why, especially in my sobriety, I became hyper aware of censorship in my life, in in my in the areas of my life where I felt like I needed to prove myself. You know, last week I spoke with Nurja Hentort and I said, I don't fuck with being censored. I refuse to be less of who I am in order to make people more comfortable. You know, and for a long time, I don't think I realized how small and how watered down I was letting myself become. I recall feeling like I had to run every thought, every post, every expression through like a checklist. Is this right? Is this okay? Would a woman in my shoes do this? Should she do this? And the more I realized that, the angrier I became and the louder I wanted to yell. So I yelled, I yelled, I yelled. I yelled in private. And in public, I started to just drop more and more of my real self out there. And I'm not just talking about social media, you guys. Social media is everyone's highlight reel for the most part, whatever. I'm talking about like with friends, with family, with my sobriety. And, you know, sobriety for many people is very anonymous. And I fully support that. But in order for me to feel like I had full autonomy over myself and like the secrets that I had been keeping in myself that were like drinking poison, I felt like I had to start owning up to myself. So like this, owning up to myself to feel that sense of ownership over myself. I'm going to say that again. Owning up to myself to feel that sense of ownership over myself, which then gave me the autonomy and the permission to speak up for myself in the times that I've needed to. This is a bit of a swing on things, much different than what I'm talking about, like from my own life, but something that people might be familiar with when it comes to pop culture. Madonna makes a sex book. Kim Kardashian releases a book with photographs of her body. These are examples of ownership and autonomy, whether or not we agree with what they have chosen for themselves. On the other hand, Emily Ratajkowski, writes a book called My Body, where she discusses her experience having her photos printed in a for-profit book without her permission and without receiving any royalties. That's not autonomous. A long list of celebrities and regular everyday people whose private pictures have been leaked without consent to the public in which they have to fight to get them taken down. Not autonomous. Countless women and people in public figure positions who have had to stay quiet so as not to rock the boat not autonomous. In my own journey to self-love and healing, which is a lifelong experience, 
ownership and autonomy over myself has become increasingly important. Using my voice to advocate for the things I'm passionate about matters to me, even if it makes people uncomfortable. So for me, these days of saying silent, they're long gone. And I'm sharing this with you guys because I think a lot of people can feel that way. I think a lot of us feel censored in some capacity. And let me also say, you have the right to keep your thoughts and opinions private too. You might feel like you don't need or want to shout everything from the rooftops. And that is your prerogative. That's autonomy. That is your prerogative. It's your choice. My point is not that everyone has to preach their stuff loud and proud and all of that. No, my goal by having this monologue is to create a sense of awareness for people everywhere, but for especially for women, that we don't have to be the things that we aren't. We don't have to be small. We don't have to play down our strengths or keep quiet about anything if we don't want to. Why? Because you don't own me. No one owns me. No one owns you. No one owns anyone. And I want us all to feel empowered to surround ourselves with people who love us. And one, that they do hold us accountable for our shortcomings and missteps. But more importantly, two, that they want us to be more of ourselves, okay? I hope this hits for you today, Light Beams and Truth Speakers. It's been on my mind for a hot minute and I wanted to drop this in a queue. Thank you for listening over an Audis. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm.